Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to The Other Hand, a podcast brought to you by CJP Economics, a collaboration between Jim Power and Chris Johns, where we discuss the intersection between politics, finance, and economics. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found at our Substack website, and that Substack site also contains our extensive body of written work. Thanks for listening and reading. If you like our work, please share with your friends and sign up to our newsletter. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Other Hand podcast. Today, it's just going to be me, so something a little different. Jim is in the United States having a well-earned rest. I hope he's listening to this and that he's having a great time. I'll keep it short because it is only me. I don't want to monologue for too long. So podcasts normally, our ones anyway, are about half an hour or so, so I'll try to keep this to 15 minutes or so. The obvious things to talk about this week start really with interest rates. They affect all of us so many different ways, our mortgages, our savings, our loans, our credit cards, and all the rest of it. In the United States, we had a very important speech from the chairman of the Federal Reserve last Friday, in which he made some remarks that were exactly opposite to the ones that he made at the same speech 12 months ago. So markets, financial markets are really exercised about the fact that the Federal Reserve, the world's most important central bank, is losing all sorts of credibility. Whether that's true or not, I'm not so sure. But what we certainly do have is a very confused state of affairs when in the space of 12 months, perhaps the most important monetary policymaker in the world makes remarks that directly contradict himself. The latest thinking of Jerome Powell is that he is essentially going to be putting up interest rates in the United States to the point where he's got to slow growth to the point probably, my words not his, cause a recession. That caused a bloodbath in the US stock market on Friday, fell by over 3% as a one-day move. That's a big deal in equity markets. Interestingly, the bond market, arguably more important but less headline generating than the equity market, didn't move at all. So, an example of how things are actually 
quite confusing. The chairman of the Fed was speaking at the annual symposium of the world's central banks uh, in a place called Jackson Hole. There, the world's central banks have gathered to listen to people like Powell, to talk to each other, to make all sorts of set-piece speeches, just like Powell's. And an ECB member, someone closer to home, has said something very similar to Powell. It seems that if we listen to that particular member of the European Central Bank, Isabel Schnabel, she's very worried about inflation, as they all say they are, but she talked about reducing the very high real risk of inflation becoming entrenched in expectations. That central bank speak for being very worried, and she used the words that central banks must act forcefully, my emphasis. So I think that means that the ECB are teeing us up for higher interest rates in Europe, perhaps up much higher, unless we get some kind of spontaneous abatement of higher inflation. That doesn't seem terribly likely in my view, um, at least not in, in the short term. So one of the things that we've spoken about constantly on this podcast for many, many weeks, higher interest rates along the way, I think we just need to reiterate that message. So if you're thinking of borrowing money, think very carefully because the cost of doing so is going to go up. Your mortgage rates are going to go up further. I can think we always knew that, but certainly the indications are now on both sides of the Atlantic that they could be going up a lot further unless, as I say, we get some kind of immaculate fallback of inflation. Now for that to happen, we've got to see energy prices coming down. And here we have a crisis like no other, certainly like nothing I've seen in my entire career as, as an economist. In my life, actually, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the 1970s when I wasn't an economist. But then when we had oil prices go up in 1973 and subsequently in 1979, that was a big deal. It led to all sorts of problems for the world economy, not least inflation, but also recessions and all sorts of other horrible things. Higher interest rates, particularly at the end of the 1970s, beginning of the 1980s, were a direct result of energy prices going up and doing their thing to fuel inflation. We've got the same thing now. That what The main reason why our inflation rates are so high, in the UK they've reached double digits, in Ireland it's not so bad, but it's still bad compared to the UK. Uh, the UK is actually in the worst possible situation. The energy price thing is being driven by all sorts of factors that we understand and all sorts of factors that we don't. We know that the first prime driver of higher energy prices was the war in Ukraine and subsequently Putin's decision to weaponize gas prices in particular, but also oil prices have been affected as well. In Europe, at least, this is a gas price thing, unlike the 1970s, which was an oil price thing. We can do these sorts of calculations that ask that if oil prices were somehow equivalent to the gas price, what would it be? The oil price is currently $100 a barrel, give or take. And if oil prices were equivalized, as we say, with the current gas market price, oil prices would be about, we think, 10 times that level, about $1,000 a barrel. That's how much gas prices have gone up in oil price terms, at least, that thought experiment. One of the many consequences of this, of course, is that our home heating, lighting, and other energy bills are going through the roof everywhere, but particularly in Britain and Ireland. And we feel that we see that every day in terms of the headlines. In the UK last week, something called the energy price cap went up 80%. Cap is a misnomer. It's not the right way to think about what has actually happened to UK prices. You can pay a lot more than the cap. That's why it's not a cap. It's the price charged 
that electricity and gas companies are allowed to charge for a unit of gas or a unit of electricity. And that's the thing that's capped. How much you end up paying depends how many units of gas and electricity you consume. And regulators act in similar and different fashions around the world, try to uh, smooth these things out, let uh, energy companies make money. The, the idea behind regulation is that companies shouldn't make too much money, but that's one aspect of regulation, of course, for certain companies that is failing. But the average household in the UK is now going to be paying from October, in about five weeks' time, an average annual home heating and lighting bill of around £3,500. That's in excess of €4,000. It is then going to go up again in three months' time. And if current trends continue, it'll go up again next April. So we've just had home heating and lighting bills rise by 80%. Uh, that's the announced rise from the 1st of October. That's after they've gone up a hell of a lot over the course of the last 12 months, of course. So they've gone up and they're now going to go up again by 80%. And energy consultancies are saying that come next April, that 80% rise, which will take bills, as I say, to around £3,500 on average, could well double again. So we could be up to something like £7,000 that people will have to find out of disposable income Uh, by next April. Now, the first thing I'd say about that is it ain't going to happen because people do not have that kind of money. That would lead to uh, people just not turning their heating on, which of course has all sorts of health implications. So policy is going to have to change. Up until now, economists have said, well, let let the market do its thing. Let the price mechanism work. Because what happens when you get energy prices doing what they're doing is that people will cut their consumption and there will be a renewed shift into renewables. All good things, we think. But that point of allowing uh, markets to do their thing and sitting back, um, we've gone well beyond that. We have to throw the textbook response to to the price rise out of the window and realise the emergency that this is creating, not just for households, but households in particular. Small companies are already struggling with energy costs, because in the UK, at least, they aren't capped in the way that they have been for households, and they've been paying these higher prices for some time. SMEs, small and medium-sized enterprises in the UK. Companies that employ less than 250 people in the UK generate about 16 million jobs and 2.3 trillion of turnover. They're a big deal in the UK. They're a big deal in Ireland. They are big employers, very important sectors of the business. And I've seen figures that suggest that their energy costs have already tripled and are on the way to going up by maybe five or six times what they were a year or so ago. This is going to be an economic disaster on a massive scale for small and medium-sized enterprises and therefore for the economy as a whole. I think that policymakers on both sides of the Irish Sea clearly are focused on these issues, particularly the household issue, But I don't think the penny has dropped to just how big an issue this is, how big a crisis this is. I've been saying to myself, it feels a bit like when I was on a plane coming back from New York, just as the financial crisis was starting to build. I was working in financial services then and I've been in the States, been talking to all sorts of different people, getting insights into what was going on. And I've been shocked because I began to see that that there was an incipient crisis building and it was going to be bad. And I remember turning to my boss, who was with me on the plane ride back from New York to Dublin at the time. And I said, I don't know 
exactly what's going to happen. I probably don't even know approximately what's going to happen over the next couple of years. But I do know that it is going to be bloody miserable. That isn't a traditional economic forecast, but it was right. I wish I'd been able to see my way through to seeing just exactly what would happen in particular to the banks. But the overarching sense that it was going to be an extraordinarily difficult couple of years, which was going to require an extraordinary policy response, we began to see that that was coming. I feel the same way now. I feel the same way now today about the building crisis from energy prices for our economies, for us as individuals, in the same way that I felt at the beginning of the financial crisis. And I think policymakers being slow to understand the scale of the crisis that we face, we're repeating it again. In the UK, the financial crisis, one of the big watershed moments was something called the Northern Rock moment when that particular financial institution, building society, people started queuing outside to withdraw their money. That was the sign to policymakers that something far more serious than they previously realized was going on. I think the energy price cap rise was a Northern Rock moment. And um, that's the announcement. I think the actual effect of prices going up and hitting people's bills from October, and then what's going to happen in January and or April can be thought of as a, for everybody, um, a more familiar concept to, to our Irish listeners, a Lehman Brothers moment. It's that serious. That's the scale of the problem that we face. And policymakers, I think, still haven't fully realised this, because if they did, here in the UK, we wouldn't have Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak wittering on about VAT changes, green levy changes, tinkering around with tax rates. They would be saying all other policy objectives, all other things that we would like to do, all the things that we have on our political agenda, they need to be parked. Northern Ireland Protocol, the row with the EU, everything, just park that. And 100% of our energies need to be devoted to thinking about how we are going to deal with this problem, because there are no good choices. And similarly in Ireland, I think their policymakers clearly are uh, aware of what's going on. It's been fascinating to read in the Irish Times this weekend about the doomsday scenarios being gamed uh, behind closed doors in government circles about the possibility of actual supply restriction, not just the price rises, but the possibility if things go get really bad this winter, particularly when it comes to the weather. But there are other reasons to think that in a reasonable worst case scenario, that horrible phrase, that we might actually have the lights going off and or petrol stations shutting that shutting down because supplies have been restricted. That's how bad it could get. I'm not saying it will, but that certainly is a possibility. But equally in Ireland, the, the upcoming budget should be framed entirely around the policy response to the energy crisis. If you were doing this with the luxury of time, and state administrative capacity to do complex things very, very quickly, you would target all of the help towards the poorer sections of society, the, the most vulnerable, to get all, maybe, or most of the help. Um, the problem with it is that we've got very cumbersome administrative functions, particularly when it comes to administering welfare benefits and targeting the, the, the less better off. We already have all sorts of benefit traps and other anomalies within the benefit system that would be very difficult not to make worse if we went down that road exclusively, although we must go down part of it. The best way that I've seen proposed in something called Torsten Bell, of an outfit called the Resolution Foundation, 
here in the UK has said that the, the right way to do it, because it's doable in a practical, pragmatic sense, is to stop the energy price from going up and say, right, that's it. It's not going to go up anymore to households or companies or businesses, particularly SMEs. And what we're going to do to at least part fund that is to raise tax rates, income tax rates, and perhaps even corporation tax as well. That, of course, is politically toxic, particularly in the UK, where the Conservative Party candidates through next Prime Minister are falling over themselves to try and commit to uh, sooner or later tax cuts. And I imagine it's a politically toxic uh, formula for Ireland as well at, the, at this stage of the electoral cycle. Um, but whether or not taxes go up, borrowing is going to have to take the brunt of this. And the finance minister in Ireland and the whoever the Chancellor of the Exchequer here is in the UK is going to have to borrow an awful lot more money. And what we need to see from our politicians is a recognition that this is a, a, as big a problem for economies, individuals, and, and also the SME sector, which has been very badly neglected in all of this. It's, it's all hands to the wheel now. And some serious thinking and serious policy proposals must emerge on both sides of the Irish Sea. It's perfectly possible that we're going to mess this up. We managed to get out of the financial crisis in reasonable shape. There were lots of mistakes made along the way, and we still suffer a lot of the consequences of those mistakes. The pandemic was handled reasonably well by our policymakers. Um, again, mistakes were made. They've got an, a, another crisis on their hand as big as those two with potentially devastating consequences if they get it wrong. This is really, really serious. And I would urge anybody to speak to their representatives, to appeal to anybody in power. Get your skates on. This is the time for some hard thinking and some really, really hard policy choices. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please sign up to our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com. You can download our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and other good podcast platforms. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.